Welcome to the United We Scan podcast, the podcast by rural carriers for rural carriers. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views or opinions of the United States Postal Service or the National Rural Letter Carriers Association. We ask that you please consult your assigned union representative for guidance in your local area. Make sure you like this podcast, share with your fellow rural carriers, and subscribe to be notified each time a new episode is uploaded. Please rate this podcast five stars where applicable and leave a comment or question for us below. Thank you. Now, here are the hosts of the United We Scan podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 51. Grievances and disputes. What happens next? So, guys, we are now officially into the Christmas overtime season. How was your last week prior to it starting, Josh? Oh, oh loads of fun, loads of fun. Parcels, parcels, parcels. Um, still don't have my truck, which has my little hand card in it, back yet. So, Friday, my wife told me I could use hers, so I grabbed it and put it in my car Saturday morning, and then forgot to bring it home last night, so I had to make a special trip to the post office just to grab it this morning. Um... It was a pretty decent week, I suppose. I'll find out tomorrow night when my pay stub drops on light blue if my 8127 time that they supposedly processed actually got processed or not. Because this will be the second pay period after she supposedly submitted it. So we'll see. James, how was your you. week? Oh, uh, it was the usual. I mean, heavy packages had, it got pretty interesting because Monday I was missing two trays at DPS. Tuesday I was missing one tray. And then all three of them came in my DPS on Friday. I had the most DPS in the office on Friday. So that made for a long day, but you can tell it's that time of year for the post office because lots of parcels, lots of scanning. We got lucky. We had both our clerks plus the supervisor, the OIC, and a RCA working parcels for scanning to get them out quick uh, most of the days. So they were working hard to get everything out so that way we could get out early on the routes and things like that. But... Friday, not only was it heavy DPS, I even dropped a tray of DPS. Oh, that's So I had to sucks. pick that up, too. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> last, last, day of the work, last day of the work week, and I had to pay, play 500 pickup. <laughs> yeah, but, we've all been there. Yeah, and then uh, got to enjoy my weekend and worked on the model railroad again. So that was a nice relaxation, get my mind off of postal things before I come on here and talk postal things. So, but that's about how my week usually goes now. And, uh, but Bill, how was your week? Oh, shitty. <laughs> um, my earliest day was, uh, 8.33 PM. Um, 
Monday, I, I went out and left a, a hamper of parcels at the office. There was no room for them. And I got a text message on my scanner, which I didn't respond to. I got a text message on my phone, which I didn't respond to. And then I got a phone call from the office, which I didn't respond to. And then I got a phone call from one of my friends at the office, and I responded to that. And they said, they're in there freaking out. You got a whole hamper. I says, well, tough shit. I'll come back and deliver it when I get back. And she, she goes, what time is that going to be? I said, oh, 920, 930. Oh, my God, Bill. And so they decided to send the supervisor out in the metrics with the parcels and then had a sub meet up with them. So when I got back to the office, they said, well, how come you didn't respond to our texts or alerts? And I says, uh, I'm not required to unless it's an emergency. Well, that's what we have them for. No, that's not what they're for. Read your manuals. So Friday, I came into work, and there's four hampers in my area, between my area and, and RD1. And I look at Jason, and I said, hey, Jason, tell me two of those years. He goes, no, one. So again, here I am, you know, packing up the truck, and I got everything in. And I mean, if I wanted to fart or change my mind, I had to get out, out of the truck. That's how tight it was. So I'm out delivering, I'm out delivering, I'm out delivering. About the 8.30, I start getting messages and all that. I come back at 9.37, <laughs> and the supervisor's going, you have to contact the office. I said, no, I don't. I said, you have a uh, order out, standing order on the floor that everything has to be delivered? I delivered everything. You have a problem with that? Go talk to the POOM. I says, I'm following a direct order from the POOM through our management team that everything must go. Everything went. Have a good night. You know, I love it when they sit there and they have to pick their jaw up off the floor because there's nothing left you can say to me. Especially me, okay. <laughs> and, and, and I, 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 I clear out. I sign out, and I go home. And you know, frankly, fuck you. The very last day before the overtime period, and you know, you're you're putting parcel help on smaller routes in the office. One of our subs actually did a parcel run, came back, and left at ten o'clock in the morning. Are you kidding me? Wow. What a management team we have. So I had a good week. I, <laughs> I, I, I pissed them off at the beginning of the week and the end of the week. And I got paid for it. Most of it. That would be on that one. <laughs> you know? it was, we, tensions were high and heated in my office this week. That's for sure. I'm not going to go into details. But... Uh, <clears throat> When you uh, kind of throw out the full day of relief entitled to three carriers and management shuts her mouth and sits down and dismisses everybody. Yeah, I, I tend to get that uh, that too because they'll go spurting off or say something and I just kind of turn around and look at them and I come back with contractual language and they shut up and walk away. And, and I, I have to sit there and wonder... Where are these, they get these people for supervisors and postmasters? I'm seeing so many posts that, oh, we're not getting parcel help or, or parcel assistance, parcel help, whatever you want to call it. Oh, we don't deliver on Sundays, we're, you know, even though they get Amazon. Well, why wouldn't you? 
I mean, if you have people available to work it, they don't let subs or regulars work on Amazon Sunday. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, you have to be out of your damn mind not to take advantage of that. Because, you know, you're going to have failures come Monday. Yeah. Somebody's going to throw, throw up their hands and say, I've had enough today. It's it's unsafe. I'm tired. And they're going to go home and you can't do nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I had that instance on Friday. I was so tired. I mean, I was I had tickets to a concert at the machine shop for Thursday night. I didn't get done in time to make the two and a half hour drive to go down to it. So I had to eat, you know, the money, whatever. And Friday, I was so tired when I walked in the door Friday. I felt like I had gone to the concert and got home at one o'clock in the morning. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I I left the key sitting on the desk when I went to go load the LLV. And I stopped myself going, well, that's not going to work out. I don't have keys on me. You know, it just, yeah, it, you just get tired. And that's one of the reasons why I have yet to give up my one and only day off on a Sunday to go in and run some packages. Because uh, yeah. I didn't get out of bed. I went to bed, you know, I was up a little bit later last night, but I didn't get out of bed till 11 o'clock this morning. I made breakfast and then I pretty much took a nap for a good half of the day on the couch. It was my day today. I didn't do shit. And, and although I'm not a steward anymore, I do have and have talked to the subs about the Elm 432.32 working over 12 hours. And I have extra copies of the 1767 safety form so that, you know, if they need to, I says, I'll help you fill it out so that you can protect yourself. Yep. And they're like, I work 15 hours. I said, okay, file. Yeah. 15 exactly. hours. You can protect yourself. They are, they are cutting off our new subs at five o'clock because. Somewhere down the chain of command, it's come out that our new RCAs cannot work past 5 p.m. For the is first the con- yeah, 10 the weeks. Contract? Not that I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, the, con- the contract says that they can't uh, work on any other route other than their primary or parcel help for the first four weeks. Yeah. Right. Yep. So. So, yeah. But yeah, that's, it's it's been wow. a heavy week for me. Yeah, I know. I've had, you know, I did get parcel help. We borrowed a couple people for uh, a couple different days. I got parcel help one day this week. Uh, they have a schedule for the next couple weeks with parcel help. I think my route's on it two times. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I have the second heaviest route in the office, and I'm getting less help than... Another carrier who tends to get well, that's a lot more help. That's because you're a super carrier. Don't you know that? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. yeah, yeah. She was. Well, now she's just a regular. Yeah, now yeah, I'm just a regular. Right I, I'm not that yeah. super sub anymore. I'm just a regular. And, uh, you know, our, we've got our brand new one that just finished his OJT, and he's going to be on his own Tuesday and Wednesday. So, I will volunteer to help him when I'm done with my route if needed. If management denies me that help and management is out there helping, I will then be filing a grievance because management should not be doing rural craft duties when there are uh, rural craft members available, available. And, willing to, and willing to help. 
so yeah, that's I have a pending grievance on that already from the previous week. So yeah, we are. Uh, it's been interesting in my office to say the least. You know, I try to get in there and get out. I mean, I rolled in yesterday at quarter after eight. I didn't care. <laughs> I couldn't get out of bed. I was just tired. I'm like, eh, I'll get there when I get there. And it didn't matter. I walked in and went, oh, I didn't miss anything. <laughs> I still got out. I, I still got out of the office at the normal time I've been getting out lately. So, you know, being that extra half hour, 15 minutes, 30 minutes later than what I've been lately, pheh, who cares? <laughs> it's the hey, most James. wonderful time of the year. You know, I clocked in at 8.12. I clocked out at 4.36. I am on a nine-hour route. I was still under evaluation. I don't care. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, James, at least when you dropped your tray of DPS, it was in the office, so you could kind of clean it up. That's friend true. Of mine years, friend of mine years ago found out that there's a reason you don't roll the LLB window all the way down. <laughs> when you're taking a sharp left turn it shoots out the window <laughs> yep that would be a right turn not a left turn yeah I apologize you correct a right well, that's turn the, that's the fast way to deliver that's how these how these people get uh, four hour routes done in two hours don't you know it oh our it highway con our highway contract route let me tell you this he won't she has two vehicles because she used to be a rural carrier in another office. She has two vehicles with pedals installed, and he won't let her drive them. He has to. She has to use the vehicles that he provides for his highway contract route. And the one van, the sliding door didn't either want to stay closed or it won't open, whatever. And she was going to make a turn at the stoplight. Right in front of the cop shop, she goes to turn. The van door flies open, and all the packages spill out in the middle of the road. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dylan, is that you delivering? So, a lot of, we put out for everybody to give us topics to talk about, and the biggest ones that we saw were talking about disputes, grievances, the safety forms, and things like that. But what a lot of people don't know is what happens after the carriers file those forms. So today I wanted to talk about what's the next step in the process? What is what carriers don't see that happens? You know, we do have people that have experience in those situations and what goes on behind the scenes. So I wanted to talk about after you file your grievance, after you file your dispute, after you file the 1767 safety form, what does the union and management do with them? So let's start out with the 1767 safety form. That is the most important one and probably the one we're gonna use a lot over this Christmas period for unsafe work conditions. Who knows what, happens with that 1767 safety form in my office it gets resolved as soon as i bring it up <laughs> I, I do know they have 24 hours to respond i personally have not had to fill one out myself so so yeah. they have 
they have 24 hours to respond to the safety form. And if the issue is like working after eight or working in unsafe conditions, usually that situation will be fixed immediately. But if it if it's related to a hazard in the office, then they have, I believe it's two weeks to fix the issue and notify their district manager that it's been fixed. That's what I heard. Now, I know if they don't respond back to the person that submits the 1767 within 24 hours, that is grievable. Yes. So that's, that's, that's the one that a lot of people are going to use this Christmas period. You know, a lot of you are going to be working out past dark, especially for our carriers in Alaska who went in the dark a uh, week and a half ago and won't come out of the dark until next year. Uh, but uh, late next, February, early March. The next one a lot of us have experience with, and that is the grievance process. So carrier files a grievance. Let's let's say it's an RCA that's been over 12 hours every single day. And they filed a grievance on it because they talked with management. Management would say, well, I still need you to do it. I still need you to do it. That's a direct order. And this RCA files a grievance on this. What does the local steward, area steward, assistant district representative, whoever is the local designated union representative for that carrier do with that grievance? First, they're going to request from management any documentation to support the grievance. Time cards. Time cards, emails from their district manager that's telling them to keep these RCAs working past 12 hours, things like that. Because most often you want the manager to prove it wasn't their fault. A lot of them will fall on the sword for the district manager. But some will give you an email that says, no, these RCAs need to keep working. We need to get these packages out. We need to do this. We need to do that. So if the manager is not willing to fall on the sword for the district manager, you may get some emails out of that. Right, Bill? Correct. But that's not that's not the process I follow. <laughs> the, the process I follow is the first thing I do is I, I get time and I, I interview the grievance. And I get a statement from the grievance. And then I do an RFI for every green card, timesheet, whatever, you know, local timekeeping apparatus they have in place in regards to including clock rings on their scanners in regards to how many hours they've actually worked. Then I request a signed documentation, a signed letter stating that they are to work over 40 hours in direct violation and with full knowledge of the ELM 432.32 stating otherwise not to work over 12 hours, including break and lunch. Then that's when I start the process of filing the actual settlement and arguments for the grievance 
basically verifying the fact that they are full knowledge that they're violating the ALM, they're violating the contract, and that they are forcing these carriers to work in unsafe conditions. I have a newbie in our office worried about it because he's under 90 days. And I said, don't worry, I'll get you through that too. And he goes, well, you know, what about my ADR? I said, I'll put the language together for you so you can give it to the ADR. And the thing of it is that you want to document everything as much as possible. If there's email saying that, you request that email, you you address anything that's, you know, coming up, you know, at the district level, at the local level. It doesn't matter. Quest it. A lot of times they'll deny they have anything like that. And that gets tricky because for them to not supply it to you while having it, it's hard for us to prove at the local level. Uh, at the ADR and DR level, I, I have no knowledge of you know their ability to, to get that information or not. But at the local level, they'll, they'll often deny that they even have anything because, like James said, They'll fall on the sword instead of trying to, you know, dump on the DM because of the fact that it'll come back and bite them in the ass. But I get all the information up front, you know, so that, you know, I have a, a good, strong case from the get go. And if anybody has sat in an investigative interview with management and listened to the 30, 40 questions that the manager is asking you, like, do you rem do you understand ELM such and such such and such and ELM such and such such and such regarding whatever issue you're in the uh, investigative interview for? And they go through this like it's a full on questionnaire for your SATs, and they want you to fill in the blank for every single question they have, so that way they can turn around and prove you knowingly violated the rules that they have put forth for you so this is the exact same process only on management we're basically doing an investigative interview of management by requesting this information requesting answers and so on and so forth one of the first questions i always like to ask james when they they start this process with the management questioning is did you prepare the questions for this interview yes because most often they have not and i like when they pull up the the, the 563.11 loyalty to the post office hold it you jack rabbit i just got done working 14 freaking hours in the freezing rain and you're questioning my loyalty while you yeah. were at home while you're at home yep yep exactly it Management's mentality, especially for investigative interviews and things like that, if it benefits the post office, they're not going to discipline you for it. But if it benefits you, damn right, they're going to discipline you for it. But that's just some management. That is not all management. We know there are diamonds in the rough out there. So the and, next and thing. For, for all of those who don't know, Technically, when the steward uh, is in the office with you for a PDI or an INI, whatever you want to call them, they're not there to answer questions. But I often violate that a lot. A good a good steward will advise you what's going to happen in that INI before you go in there. 
and advise you at to exactly how much you should answer. And the yes, no, and I don't recall. And yep. just be honest. Just, just be, be honest. honest with your answers. And don't offer more information than what is requested. It doesn't matter how long the I.I. takes. You can sit there and ponder that question for a minute before you answer it. Because you want to give a very, very short answer. If possible, one word answers, but very short answer. Because everything you say will be misconstrued, misinterpreted, and misapplied to be used against you. And that's part of the reason your steward or someone is in there with you to write down verbatim what your answers are and what yes. the questions are if they were not printed out prior to. Well, if they're so, not printed out and given to your union representative, the union representative ought to stop it before it starts until they get a copy. Yes. The union well, rep is not the union rep is not allowed to have the questions beforehand, but as soon as it starts, management is to give them a copy of the questions so they may take notes to the questions that are asked by management. Oh, we had our old DRs um, had to train managers to print out a copy of the questions for her because. She would write the questions down verbatim as they were asked and would stop the manager or postmaster supervisor multiple times so she could catch up and or ask them to repeat part of the question so she could write it down. No, nope. Nope. Wrong. So, and then, so we, when in a grievance procedure, it's the same thing. The union's going to have questions for management. Management's going to have questions for the union. They're going to be discussing both sides of it. Because as you see on the grievance form, the 8191 form, there is undisputed facts. There is disputed facts. There's management contentions and union contentions. So the undisputed facts are the facts that the union and management agree on. And requesting all that information from management prior to sitting down and discussing the grievance is your way of getting undisputed facts immediately. Things that management has no choice but to agree to. Like, for example, on November 30th, James worked 14 and a half hours. Their documentation yeah. that they entered into the system shows that James worked for 14 and a half hours. So they can't dispute, say, no, no, he didn't. That's what they entered into RIMS as for his time card for that day. Yeah. And then you back that up with James's green card. James' green card shows 14 and a half hours written on it in the carrier's handwriting. And or forty two forty that he worked and for or that forty two forty. Yes. So those are undisputed facts. Also undisputed facts are the contractual provisions. Contractuals 
provisions are undisputed. They cannot be disputed by management. Oh, that's not what the ELM says. That's not what your contract says. It's not what the step four says. Those are undisputed facts because they are in print. Both sides have access to them and can review them to make sure they're what they say they are. But disputed facts could be, oh, the carrier took two and a half hours of a break went off and, and went to a doctor's appointment or something like that. Management could say something like that. So that would be a disputed fact. Little things like that, little small little niches that management's going to try and pick it apart so they can't can't lose this grievance. Or or I like the one where you're waiting for a vehicle and you put down O time or 8127 time and they turn around and say, well, no, you were in the swing room eating your lunch. Well, my my O time was an hour and a half. I didn't eat lunch for an hour and a half. You know, that's a contention that they'll argue. Now, my office management can eat lunch for an hour and a half, but I digress. So... You go through this process, management turns around and says, I'm not signing this grievance. I'm not agreeing to settle this grievance. So the next step would be for that grievance to go up to step two. Step two is hold where on, the grievance... Hold on, hold on. They have to deny it and sign it. Yes, they have to as deny well, well it and the, sign it. Yeah as well as the local union representative. The local union representative. And then it is the responsibility of the local union representative, your designated union rep, to then send the entire file to the district rep for your area. And or then it is on the designee. Or step two designee. And it is up to that step two designee to then take it on to the step two process at district to fight the grievance in the same procedure. Then if it fails there, it moves up to the step three, which is the same process, just with the step three designee. Then it moves up to step four, and that's the national office that is your director of labor relations or designee going with national management's labor's representative and discussing this grievance they step for it and then they could turn around and if they cannot resolve it at step four then it moves on to arbitration and then in arbitration you could have a pre-arbitration settlement which is a step four settlement basically or they can actually take it into an arbitrator and have an arbitrator make a ruling on it. And pre-arbitration settlement could be after they sit down with the arbitrator, but before his he makes his decision and sends it back to the parties. Yeah. Yes. 
So they can still be, after they arbitrate it, they sit down and spend three, four hours in the room with the arbitrator or more. They could turn around and afterwards sit down at a table, discuss and go, well, we really feel like we screwed up. Management says we really feel like we screwed up and we know the arbitrator is going to rule in your favor. So we're going to agree to settle at this level. Or the other way, the union says, well, we, we can settle this right now for this, or we can wait for the arbitrator to rule in our favor. It can happen anytime. But once that arbitrator rules on it and sends his, his ruling out to the parties, that is a legally binding document for the post office and, and the union to stand by. And a lot of people are scared of arbitration. It is a costly endeavor. But a lot of times, arbitration is the only way to get the situation resolved. You can't let a few bad arbitrators ruin it for the rest of them. There have been some really good arbitration rulings in the union's favor over the years. As they say, you win some, you lose some, but you should never be afraid to fight them. If you're afraid to file a grievance all the way up to arbitration, you're afraid to fight a grievance because you think you'll lose, then you might as well not fight the fight any grievance at all. And the other thing of it is that at step one, it could be settled in your favor. Management could agree to it. And that's where, you know, you're looking for, you know, your your compensation in regards to the union settlement, what they're they're always settling. And by habit, I always settled for money. I never settled for language. Language is, uh, you might as well just, you know, shot yourself in the head because you're wasting your time settling for language. They don't honor that. And I always go for double what I want because I shoot high and I'll settle in the middle. Yeah, if you settle for language on something that's already written, like he said, the ELM, or the contract itself, something that's already printed in paper, you're basically giving them a slap on the wrist, saying, don't do it again. Well, they already did it once. What's to stop them from doing it again? And if they've done it once, they've done it before. You know, yep. not with you, but with somebody else in another office. It, it happens all, all across the country. Yeah, and... You've got to remember, we can we can file grievances on management until the cows come home and nothing will happen to them. There are offices that have 85, 100, 200 grievances on one manager and nothing's happened to them. But management files five grievances on us and we're terminated. And I call discipline a grievance by management. Because then that makes the correlation easier for us to understand. If we violate the contract, if we violate the rules and regulations of the post office, we're disciplined for that. And there's five steps to the discipline. But management can violate, 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 and they never get disciplined for it. Kristen's been pretty silent on this. I'd love to hear her opinion on this. Sorry, I was muting myself because my allergies are acting up. 
<laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you guys sniffling and uh, sneezing there. So, it you know, I and honestly, in my my term as a steward, I'd only handled two grievances, and that was in my old office. I can't take that back. I did have one in my current office shortly after I was elected steward in there, which ended up going to step two because she failed to agree to an extension due to the circumstances of when the grievance was filed and everything else. So it automatically went to step two and then was dismissed as step two because the employee was no longer a employee of the Postal Service when it went to step two. So... But what no, a, yeah, that's a that's a convenient out, isn't it? Well, had I known that this person was going to take a highway contract route in another office prior to initiating the grievance, we probably wouldn't have done it to begin with. <laughs> but I was unaware of it until after the fact. So uh, you know, you still got to go through with it. And because of when they filed, I was actually at National Convention convention when they initiated the grievance. And when I got back, that cut my time to time slot way down from the time that they initiated it to me having that step one, that timetable, and I had asked for an extension, and she denied my extension, so that automatically sent it up to step two. And by that time, it went, you know, they moved on to the other office, so... And then I had the two other ones that I had were, were actually matrix violations, which were actually quite easy to uh, fix and uh, get the carriers their uh, compensation for those matrix violations. Well, that's funny because oh. I, our matrix violations ended up with language saying, oh, the union will work with the, the post office to make sure they, they abide by the matrix. And uh, I, I, I just went, what, what, what the no, fuck was that? No, ours was, you know, to make it whole because they were skipped on the matrix when they should not have been. And so they were made whole at the end. Yeah, that's really yeah. all uh, that I had dealt with. Okay. And the reason why we wanted to discuss this whole process is a lot of people don't understand or want to understand what it takes to be a steward, what it takes to deal with management on this level. And you have to remember, anybody who steps up to be a local steward, you're stepping into an arena of specialty. And you always have to remember, when you're dealing in the grievance process, it is about business. It is a business decision. It's a business message you're sending. You're telling management they have to keep their business in line so that we can keep our business in line. You can be friends with your postmaster outside of work. You can be friendly with them at work. But when it comes to the grievance process, you have to know that you're doing what is right, not only for yourself or the carrier that you're grieving for, but also for the postal service as a whole. Because if management is following the contract, 
and doing the right thing, it's less of a cost on the Postal Service than management continuously violating the contract. Unless, of it, course, you only settle for language. And, and one of the things that a lot of people do not understand is that the local steward is the the, the foot soldier of the grievance. If you look at a uh, grievance packet, there are 15 to 16 pages that you can fill out with every grievance that you get. And it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of time invested before you even get to the process of sitting down with management. Yep. And once it gets past step one and two, that's all they're going to rely on is that packet from that local or designated union representative. All that information is what they're going to rely on. And as long as that information stays the same all the way throughout, you know, listening to from eight arbitration, Corey talks about when he's gone to arbitration and management has tried to circumvent the system and insert new paperwork into the system at the arbitration level. And that's not allowed. It has to be brought in at the lowest level through the process. So keeping track of what's what and getting all the information you can get at step one is the best way to win any grievance for any steward out there. I'm putting my wife up for wife of the year. She just brought me some <laughs> hot apple crisp with vanilla ice cream. Oh, oh. Mm -mm -mm. I'm jelly. I'm jelly. Me too. Oh my God. <laughs> so this also leads into how the dispute process works for the mini mail survey. It's basically a mini grievance, mini mail survey, mini grievance. And instead of it being settled at the local level, local management really doesn't have the ability to change this stuff. So it automatically goes up to district level. And the district manager or their designee, a lot of them using the ADRs for this because of so many disputes, end up sitting down with district management to discuss these disputes. And we've all seen them. We've all seen the different types of disputes that come back. Some people get them back as settled and they actually got the increase on their routes and got back pay for it as well. Some people didn't get the back pay that they were supposed to. But some were were dismissed. Some some were resolved that management will do the whatever. Some were returned as uh, rejected by district manager because of lack of information or whatever reason they wanted to put on it. And that pisses me off. Or I've you seen have some that come back as an impasse. Yeah, I saw one today, yes. The impasse one means that it's supposed to go up to national. The impasse one means that our director of labor relations is to go out or her designee is to go out and discuss this with national labor management. There. Uh, now, yeah, if it but, goes, I think it goes district level, then area level. 
Regional, yeah. It goes to and your then, step three. Right. And then yeah, after it that, it'll go to the Nationals. So if it's in past yeah. at district level, then it'll go up to the area or region. Mm-hmm. And then after that, if they still impasse it, that's when national gets them. Yep. And it's basically the same process as a grievance. It just gets the local level through the process. So it's still the same people discussing it, same people doing the things. The issue is the disputes is we don't have a lot of information to put in with our disputes. As I said before, if if you really did the dispute right and you had all the information, you'd be putting 250 to 500 pages of paper in with the dispute in order to prove your position. If we actually had transparency in the REX program, but we don't. So we can't put all the information forward that we should put in, be putting forward for the dispute process. But that's the whole process in a nutshell is is it's just basically like a grievance but just on the mini mail survey stuff now james if i have a dispute and it's dismissed can i file a grievance if it's the issue there is the ones that i've seen for dismissed had writing on it from the district manager that says Rex information has been on the union website since April of 2022. Things like that, where the union said, oh, we provided the information. Even though it's a contractual violation that management did not train us on this, the union rolled over and said, well, we had the information available, and if you weren't using it, it's your fault. But yet, non-dues-paying members can't access it. Union stewards, especially area ADRs and DRs, were not going out to these offices and talking with carriers about it and warning them in person that this was happening. And they could turn around and say, oh, yeah, we had meetings about it. We had this. We had that for it. Unless you're getting in those offices, seeing those carriers and saying, hey, this is coming down the pipeline. It's going to be important to your paycheck and you need to understand this stuff. There's a problem there. Our union is not stepping up and taking care of of its carriers. Whether they're dues paying or non-dues paying, it doesn't matter. It affects all rural carriers. And you can sit there and you can turn around and you can say that, well, we shouldn't be supporting the non-dues paying carriers because they aren't paying dues into the union. Have you figured out why they're non-dues paying? Perhaps it's the lack of dissemination of information through the pipeline. Perhaps it's the lack of representation. There's so many different reasons. I know of I know of a carrier who, if they were paying union dues with their standard expenses, would be losing six dollars every pay period out of their savings if they were paying dues. But they're holding out hope to become a regular carrier and be full time and get a get a 42k route or a 41 
H route or something that actually pays them more than what they're making now. I know, I know, an RCA going to regular usually loses a little bit of money, but the other expenses would be taken off with having the benefits there as well. So, I mean, there's there's lots of reasons people are non-dues paying members, but we can get people to be dues paying members if we just showed them the union cared and not turned around and said that We've had it too good for too long. Yep. I completely so. agree. I mean, that is, for many, that is their voice of change is to withdraw their dues. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to fault them on it. I mean. Yeah. You know, I mean. Sit there. You sit there, and you listen to the stories of all these carriers out there, including ones of people that we uh, I've heard on a new podcast out there called Fed Up. That guy talks with other carriers, not just rural carriers, but city carriers. He's had a member of management who was harassed by other members of management on there. So it's not just the rural craft that's being harassed. There's even management that's being harassed by management. There are a lot of people who are fed up with what's going on, not only in the Postal Service, but in the union itself, that need to step up and say something, and they feel like their voices are being heard. Well, maybe you'll hear it when my money's pulled out of my dues. But... One day we'll get everybody back into the union and paying dues again because they actually care about the craft and care about the people, the people that are voted in by the delegates are people that actually care about the craft instead of following up the chain of systems. Instead of one that were one time a carrier back in the day who are now politicians and are so out of touch on what is going on within the craft and the system nowadays to even un, have an idea un, of what we're dealing with on a daily basis to honestly and, we you know we need we need people in those offices that have had boots on the ground within the last 3 to 5 years we need we need people who are willing to step down out of the office acting like management sitting in front of a computer all day long staring at spreadsheets instead of that stepping down onto the workroom floor and actually seeing how these carriers are being treated seeing how these carriers are dealing with this stuff talking with the carriers themselves not just in the offices that you know people at not just talking to people you know or people who have supported your political campaign but actually talking to boots on the ground people that have never seen a union rep, never talked to a union rep. There are offices out there that have not seen a union rep in decades, not heard from a union rep in decades. How sad is that? I agree. 
So, well, that's all the topics I had for today. Well, do you guys have anything else you want to add? I want to give a shout out to Linda because she's listening. Happy retirement for those that were at National and met my uh, my first regular. Her retirement was official as of 4 p.m. November 28th. Woohoo! Well, I guess I'm not taking her to any bars with fluted columns. <laughs> I'd be happy for her to come again. Oh yeah! She can come oh yeah! Again, I'm sure we, we can fight a hot cat in Reno. Just saying. Just saying. I know, but no, yeah. Happy retirement, Linda. I'm happy yeah. for you. Congratulations! Yeah. You made it. With all the scratches, skid marks, and paper cuts. <laughs> now you have to, now you're gonna have to act like a normal person. Oh man! <laughs> but that's good. Postal withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll be me someday. I'll have withdrawal from all of it. I'll be like, man, what do I do with myself now? Uh... <laughs> Just admit, she's going to be laying in bed one night, and she's going to just start throwing letters in the air, just like she's casing mail. It's, she's she, says it. it's, it's, she says it's been a rough week. <laughs> <laughs> so, the only thing I wanted to touch on was I've seen a couple different posts. Um, in the last couple of days about them making you run parcels in the morning. No. How how that, to sure what? <laughs> so early morning, hey. early AM parcel runs should be only RCAs, PTFs, or ARCs. That's it. It should not be regular carriers running parcels as a quote-unquote second trip. What should be happening is if they have these ARCs, RCAs, or PTFs running parcels in the early AM, number one, they should be on green card time. And number two, they should be picking parcels out from routes, using option six on the scanner to change their route to the route that they took the parcels from and scanning those parcels under that route. The issue here is management will choose to allow regular carriers to do it or tell regular carriers to do that because they think they're saving the post office money. And regular carriers, there has been nothing from the union saying that AM second trips are second trips. The union says that you should be grieving it. They have a step four that's been in there since 2019. You can actually look this up on the union website. They have a step four from 2019 on AM parcel runs that still hasn't been resolved. The question is, is why hasn't our union resolved this? But I digress. Well, Regardless of whether or not a regular should be or shouldn't be and who should and shouldn't be, if management says, come in at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning, 
and run parcels between six and let's say eight o'clock is my start time. Mm -hmm. At six o'clock when I get there, I'm going to clock in. I'm going to go to start load vehicle. I'm going to load my vehicle up. I'm going to end load vehicle when I have everything that I'm taking in the vehicle and get the conveyance back inside to where I got it from because there's obviously going to be a lot more parcels being thrown into it. I'm going to leave, deliver those parcels, come back, and start casing my mail. Once I am finished casing and pulled down and I'm ready to roll out to load my vehicle for the regular day. I'm going to start and end my load again. And then I will depart to route. Yep. And when I get back, I will return to DU. If you're yeah, on a POV, keep, keep an eye on the mileage. If you're in your POV, because you will get the EMA, if it's, I believe, over 40 miles for the day, because EMA is paid at a minimum trip of 40 miles. So if I, you're route I, plus the second trip, you know, plus the extra trips. See, I'm careful on my wording there, because you can't have a second trip if you didn't make a first one. So if... All the times you, you know, all the mileage total is over 40 miles. That additional if, EMA will be paid out because you're automatically getting 40 to begin with. And if your route is over 40 miles to start with, you automatically get the additional EMA. On the see, I, would, routes. I would personally argue that the EMA for the extra trip in the morning should be paid in any way. Period. Whether or not, right. period. Yeah. Yep. Um, right. But and I know that at one point they were discussing that those morning runs should be actual time, but that was before the Rex program started and actually counted. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of fluidity to this. There's a lot of different answers out there that people are going to give. But until the union actually steps up, gets the step four settled, and actually gives us contractual step four language as to what's supposed to happen, I'm talking to you, Director of Labor Relations. Till the step four is settled, anybody's guess right now. But you can also grieve it. It'll be held at step two until that step four is resolved. But... I do have a question that somebody posed on our Discord, and they said, I would love to be a steward, union steward, but I can't support people I know are in the wrong. So here's the thing about that. They may be in the wrong, but the argument you're having is not that they're right or wrong. The argument you're having is whether management did it right or wrong. That's why you see people who probably deserve to be fired stay on the job through a disciplined grievance because management didn't do it right. 
It's just like a defense attorney who's got a guy who's a murderer dead to rights. The guy did it. He admitted it to his attorney that he did it. That attorney's job is to make sure that the prosecutor did their job right. It's about following the contract, following the rules, and doing it the right way. If management did it right, that person wouldn't have the job. Do you guys agree? Yep. And and one yep. of the things is that you don't have to like the person, or in the case of a murder, what they do. That's not your job. Your job is defend them to the best of your ability without any bias. And I know how hard that is because I quit being a steward because of uh, several carriers in my office. And and I wish I hadn't, but uh, I was a little bit of a hothead. <laughs> little, you, Bill? You a hothead? You're kidding me. I know. I, never, no. I, 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 I never knew of such a thing. I, I know. <laughs> it, it, it surprises a lot of people. Um, <laughs> But but after medication and many EAP sessions, <laughs> I've settled down. But the thing of it is, is that, you, you, like James said, you have to make sure that they follow the letter of the law, in this case, the letter of the contract, because that's what we're defending. We're not defending the individual, per se. We're prosecuting management. And that's how you have to look at it. Yep. Yeah, I we're agree just like on that one. Just like the grievances, you cannot file a grievance against another carrier, but you can file a grievance against management making that carrier follow the contract. Yeah. Or allowing, allowing that carrier to do the wrong doing. Yeah. Yep. For instance, working off the clock. Yes. If that's you a know big one. carriers that work off the clock. And you can file file against management for allowing them to work off the clock. Because it's it's illegal, not not only in the contract, it's illegal for anybody to work without compensation. Yeah, it's a federal crime. Yeah, it's a federal crime. And and if they get hurt while off the clock, guess what? It doesn't get covered by OWCP. No, it does not. And that is always Mm -hmm. my biggest thing that I tell carriers when I see them working off the clock is, you know, if you were to trip over that double mail right now and you got hurt, you wouldn't be covered. No. And, and you're stealing from the route that is supposed to be getting proper credit for all the time and, allocated to that route. And this is why our standards go down as well. Yep. That's why, yep. That's why we and have that's to do the point eight. I make. That that's, that's why, why our standards went from 1.8 in two minutes to 1.2 minutes across the board per box. That's why we're now at 86 pieces per minute for DPS because yeah. people Where are working off was, the clock. It was what 23? No, 40. It went to 40. Yeah, then it went before to 40. that. It was before that. It was like 21, 22, or 23. No, it was 33. It was 30. I, I yeah, thought it was in the it 20s. Was, no, it was 33. Okay. And think, and think about this. Because of people working off the clock, our standard for processing letters is six 
15 letters a minute faster than the DPS sorting machine at the plant. The DPS sorting machine has to, is processing 70 letters a minute versus our 86. And when your uh, your your DPS processing is as messed up as ours is all the time, and you're going one two oh four here's four pieces for another, and you're trying to get through that DPS, but you're tossing stuff away because it goes to every other town but yours till you finally get to that next piece of mail for that address you're sitting at. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, that's yeah. Exactly. You know, the the union ought to have a form of some sorts to, to address these problems. Yeah. It's right. called a resolution form. You write a resolution, a non-binding oh, yeah. resolution, and you yeah, actually and file it at your local level, whatever your local lowest level of union meetings is. And then it gets approved at that meeting. It moves on to your state convention, where if it gets approved there, it moves on to national convention, where if it gets approved there, it gets put into a file to be discussed as a possibility in contract negotiations. Now, whether leadership decides to actually input that into the contract or not is completely up to them. And of course, you won't know anything until they turn around and say, we have a tentative agreement for you to vote on. Because there's no transparency. Exactly. Now, there's another thing on the DPS I want to bring up. And I've seen this one uh, on the social webs this past week about DPS reviews. And I have not seen any language that says with Rex that you cannot request a DPS review. You can still ask for a DPS re review. And I know there was a lot of people saying no, 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 no. There is nothing has changed on wanting and uh, requesting a DPS review. Yes, the only thing that changed with the mini mail survey system is that our contract stated specifically to remove all mentions of mail count. There was nothing about removing DPS reviews. DPS reviews was not listed under the mail count section of the PO603 or any other documents. So you can still get a DPS review, which occurs at the plant. Yep. Of course, whether the plant will actually do it or not is up to question. You know, the plant is its own other microcosm world over there that management runs it how they want to run it and doesn't care what our management says. I agree. I know my DPS has been horrid the last few weeks. Just absolutely. I, mean, I come in and they have half trays stacked up above the throwback case for your missorts, missense. It's been that ugly because we've been filling up the slots. So yeah. Of course, of course, if you drop your own tray of DPS, it doesn't count. No, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> I I um I had a half a tray because I condensed my uh, five trays down to two and a half the other day, and I had the two and then I had the half on top of the one and I went to 
scoot something, remove it, and my half tray flipped over. And, of course, my supervisor's like, oh, what happened? Because she heard my exclamation sentence enhancer out there. And uh, I said, oh, just dumped a half tray of DPS. Luckily, it just flipped over sideways. So with her help, we scooted the two ends together, and with the two of us, we were able to flip it back up without having anything out of order. So that helped. But Lucky. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> Hey, I've got, when I used to pull down in the tubs, I went out to load a vehicle and I dropped a whole tub of pull down before. Uh, <laughs> that was not fun. That had to come back in and be recased. I, I've done it. Uh, it. It's happened. Pull down, DPS. Oh yeah, it happens. We had, we had uh, one of the borrowed RCAs one day last week that uh, dumped, dropped a tray of DPS loading it into the truck. So we just handed him the handful. We didn't couldn't figure out where it went. And said, "Yeah, just take this for a ride and bring it back with you." <laughs> what else can you do at that point? You know. Yeah. We ready to wind this one down for tonight, guys? Yeah, I got one sidebar yep. though. Go ahead, go for it. Uh, you know, since I I finally got my copy of the National Magazine. It has the uh, ballots in there for delegates to the national convention. And I want to remind everybody that, you know, they should put their name in there and start campaigning in their offices, the surrounding areas, you know, at your local meetings to become a national delegate. And social media. And and social media also. Uh, Then, you know, come time when... No, what, five, six months that uh, people start actually mailing in their state ballot, you know, their state nominations that you carefully consider who you sent. And as in Pennsylvania, we get uh, an average of anywhere to 45 to 47 that we can send to national, and we get 80 individuals nominating themselves to be uh, delegates. Vote for the people that you know represent your views. Don't vote for people who are ADRs or DRs or state officials just because they're in that position. They're the ones that are basically keeping us in this situation. They they are, it's a stranglehold. And, you know, they, they tell people, get involved in the union, get involved. Well, if you keep suppressing the people who want to get involved, there's not going to be any change, folks. So the, the change starts now. Nominate yourself, and then when your your ballots come out, you know, for voting for delegates to the national convention, vote for people who represent you, not for the names that you recognize. I love those names you recognize do represent you, but uh, but yeah, don't just because you've seen them on the ballot for and vote. Don't just because you get that ballot in the mail and you don't recognize any names, throw it away. You know, ask a coworker, ask, you know, go to a local meeting and ask around and see who these people are and, and vote. That's the number one thing that, you know, the hardest thing to when you have so many people in the membership and only 10 to 20 percent are actually voting on anything when it comes to delegates and contract ratification, man, that 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 hits hard when you're only allowing it, it not voting is the same as a yes vote on a contract ratification, in my eyes. You know, 
And when you're not voting for those delegates, you're going to allow those same people over and over and over. And many of them have been retired for 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years to represent you on the floor and they have no clue what's going on. None whatsoever. Quite a few of them haven't even held a scanner, scanned a parcel, or even dealt with Amazon. Or DPS. That been up there. Or even or, DPS. Or FSS. Some of them have, don't even know what FSS is. Or was, should say. Or was. You know, they never were around for that stuff. So we need people to be involved that have been on the ground dealing with the things we've been dealing with. A lot of them don't even know what Rex is. They know what the conversations are at meetings and things like that, or boosters or regional conventions that have talked about it, but they haven't actually sat there and input any Rex inputs. So you have to think about that as well. Mm -hmm. So do your, do your due diligence, get involved. If you want to actually be involved as a delegate, National Convention does reimburse for your expenses at the standard rate. So it's not a big expense on you to go to these events. And each state handles that differently on how they do that too. But at the same time, you know, yeah, voting is definitely important. I mean, even if you can't make it yourself, make sure you're voting the delegates that are best going to represent you. And I'm just going to say this. I'm going to be on the delegate ballot this year. As and if will you I. Feel, and As if will you I. feel like I'm going to support the rural carrier, you can vote for me. If you feel I'm not going to support the rural carrier, you don't have to vote for me. I'm not harmed by people not voting for me. I would rather you vote with your heart and vote what you believe than vote for somebody you don't believe in. Because this is your craft. This is your union. It is your voice. You should, vote. you should vote your heart in this situation. And no, just remember, when you get that ballot, you can vote for as few or as many up to what your state allows for delegates. So North Carolina is around 60 delegates. So I could vote for one, 260 people. So if I wanted to just mark myself and leave it at that, I could. Absolutely. If you want to mark five, you can mark five. Or, or if you want to mark 60, six, do 60. But you should vote. It, it's like people like us, where, you know, where we put in our time and effort for free to do this podcast and answer questions from the listeners. You know, we want you to be the most informed carrier that you can be to protect yourself and, and your career, okay? 
Meanwhile, we have a national board that's making $180,000 plus, and they're doing jack shit for us. You know, to hate to be as blunt as that, but folks, we haven't had true representation in, in over a decade. I agree 100% with that, Bill. Yep. All right, guys, we're going to wind this one down for tonight. Yeah, go ahead, Josh, your final commentary for the night. We already know it's that time of year. Some places are starting to get cold and that got off of white, wet stuff. Be safe out there. Take care of yourself. Do not get overwhelmed. If you do, take a step back, take a deep breath, and step back in. James? Well, I appreciate you not saying the worst four-letter word in the dictionary for a Michigander. Oh, man. <laughs> no, no, no. The worst four-letter word in the dictionary starts with W. No. What? No, that, that, no the, the S word that's four letters that Michiganders hate the most is the worst in the dictionary. Unless, of course, you enjoy things like skiing and snowmobiling and stuff like that. But... Um, I'm from Philly. You know, I I know how horrible and all, god awful it can be. Okay then. So, but remember, this is all the things that the union doesn't want to talk about to you. They'll leave that information on the union website for you to access. But we want you to know the deeper processes, the deeper thinking that goes on and stuff like that because an informed craft is the bane of management no matter what and if every rural carrier in the united states is completely educated on their craft management would have no choice but to follow the rules and regulations having a union that backs that up, leadership that backs that up is the most important thing that we can have for this craft. So if you want to be a delegate, run to be a delegate. But if you don't want to be a delegate, at least vote for them. And remember, no matter what, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. Bill? Yes. Your final thoughts? You don't want to know those. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we may not, but the audience does. <laughs> well, okay, we're in the overtime period. Now you're going to get paid for what you actually do. <laughs> and this is the only part of the year that you ever get paid for what you actually do versus uh, Rex trying to rectify the old uh, mail count system. Uh, I, I know I, I've gotten overwhelmed uh, all week long. And, uh, you know, one carrier asked me, he says, well, how do you keep doing it? And I says, it's for my customers. I, you know, I, I signed on to do the job. I do it to the best of my ability. And I'll do it until it's completion. Then, you know, when at the end of the day, I, you know, I leave everything on, you know, on the table and say, I did the best I could, I, you know, and I, I'm always satisfied with my effort. And 
you know, my customers deserve that. Okay. And whether or not you agree with the post office or not, have integrity on your end. Okay. Regardless of the fact that we know they don't. Um, everybody be safe out there. Winter conditions are setting in, you know, watch out for the black ice. You know, the wet leaves are just as bad and, you know, snow will be coming soon. I'm sorry. But, you know, be safe out there. If it's unsafe, if you feel unsafe at any time you start to doubt yourself or your driving abilities or even your vision in regards to, you know, whiteout conditions and everything, that's when you stop and go back to the office and fill out a 1767 and say it's unsafe out there. You know, if if you hurt, they'll they'll find another body to plug in there. If you die, they'll find another body to plug in there. All they're worried about is making sure they get their scans done and their reports, you know, completed. You need to take care of yourself because, you know, you have a responsibility to your loved ones to get home every day. And like I always tell you, you're the most important delivery of the day. And I honestly mean that, you know, I don't ever want to hear about anybody getting injured or killed on this job. Uh, it breaks my heart. And whether it be union or the post office, you know, that they'll just step over the body and, and move on to the next one. So take care of yourselves, okay? Be safe out there. Thank you, guys. Yes, Christmas overtime period is upon us. This is my first one as a regular carrier. So it's a little different for me coming off of being an RCA for the last seven, eight Christmases. So, uh, I'm kind of, I'm I'm learning as I go as well. So. <laughs> but yeah, definitely stay safe out there. I know it's been, we had snow, it got warm, we had some snow, we had rain all day today. It's going to freeze at night and it'll be icy in the morning. So yeah, definitely stay safe out there. Remember, your safety is your call. That 1767 form is your friend when making that safety call. But uh, everybody stay safe this week, and remember, just do what you got to do, and uh, get home to your loved ones, and we'll be back next week. Just because there's no crying in baseball doesn't mean you can't do it at the post office.